Good morning, Emmanuel Baptist Church. And guests, welcome today. Happy New Year. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23 in your Bibles. New Year's is a good time to talk about new beginnings and newness of life. Uh, We've been talking about in Ephesians a few weeks ago uh, when I was preaching in Ephesians. We were talking about the greatness of the power toward us who believe that God has given. And this power that is given to us is a power to be not conformed to the world, but to be transformed. This power that is given to us is a power to walk in newness of life to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. This power that is given to us is a power that's to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And this power that is given to us by the Holy Spirit is the same power with which He raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power in which he exalted Jesus, the Son of God. He raised him from the dead. He enthroned him at his right hand and put him over all his enemies and over all things and made him to be the head, gave him to be the head to us, to be the head of the church. This is the power of new beginnings. This is the power of newness of life. On New Year's, we need a message like this because sometimes it just seems lately like darkness is winning. I think of the hymn, the old hymn, the whole world was under the darkness of sin. But the hymn goes on. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine and glory, his darkness shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. But sometimes, as I said, it just seems right now like darkness is winning. They're still killing babies in our country. Praise God, Roe v. Wade was overturned this year. But the backlash... The political backlash. Our country didn't like it. That's sad. Our country didn't rejoice. They're transing kids, forcing parents to trans their kids, giving young girls double mastectomies and chemically castrating children in hospitals. And our sitting president applauds this and encourages it from the White House. In Canada, they're performing assisted suicide. In some cases, pressuring people to kill themselves, or suggesting it at least, I should say, when it doesn't need to be suggested at all. 
Life is precious. Life is from God. The enemy has come to, to kill and to steal, but Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Although it seems like darkness is winning, Christ has already won. He already has the victory. It is finished. He's already defeated all of his enemies. They've all been put under his feet. And yet, he must reign until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. He has conquered, but he has yet to conquer. It is finished, but the last enemy to be conquered is death. He has been raised from the dead, but our resurrection is not yet. It will be. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. We'll start in verse 19 to review. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. the exaltation of Christ. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God has exalted Christ. The power of God that gives us newness of life is the same power that exalted Christ. The power of God that gives us newness of life is the same power that exalted Christ. And how did this power exalt Christ. There are three ways that the power of God exalted Christ. First, the power of God raised Christ from the dead. The power of God raised Christ from the dead, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The resurrection. If there's no resurrection... Paul said that we of all men are most pitiable. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Christ has been raised and we also uh, will walk in newness of life. And we will be raised from the dead one day. Um, I wanted to read something here. Um, Charles Hodge wrote, 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, there are two things evidently intended in these words, that the power which raises the believer from spiritual death is the same as that which Christ raised Christ from the grave, number one. And number two, that there is a striking analogy between these events and an intimate connection between them. The one was not only the symbol, the, the pledge, but the pledge and procuring cause of the other. The resurrection of Christ is both the type and the cause of the spiritual resurrection of his people, as well as, as well of their future rising from the grave and his glorious likeness. So we have been resurrected spiritually. There's a spiritual re- resurrection of God's people that has already taken place that we should walk in newness of life. And Paul is going to talk about this next in chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. There's a spiritual resurrection that has already taken place. And there's a newness of life that we can walk in in the power of the resurrection. And there's yet also a resurrection from the dead after we have died. And Christ, the last enemy to be conquered is death. And Christ will also raise us from the dead physically. But Christ's resurrection from the dead was both the type, as, as Charles Hodge said, or the foreshadowing of our resurrection and the cause of it. It is because Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. It is because that he has paid for our sin on the cross And his resurrection shows that it is finished, it's paid for, it's done. He completed our salvation and has been raised from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit that we will be raised from the dead, that we will be resurrected. I want you to turn with me, hold your place and turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, because of the resurrection of Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit power, we have the power... It's the same power that gives us life to walk in newness of life and to reckon ourselves dead 
to sin, to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires, to walk in newness of life. The power of God raised Christ from the dead, and it gives us newness of life. Secondly, the power of God enthroned Christ and gave him dominion over all things, including his enemies. The power of God enthroned Christ and gave him dominion over all things, including his enemies. Look with me in verse 20 again. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. So not only did he raise Christ from the dead, but he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now wait, wasn't Christ already seated at the right hand of God from eternity past? That was the Logos. This is the Theanthropos. This is that is seated. This is the God-man. Now, Jesus now has taken on flesh. He's become, he was fully God and now he's fully man. And as the God-man, he's seated at the right hand, as, as John Calvin, uh, I'm sorry, Charles Hodge pointed out, one of those, one of those commentators, but, um, yeah, it was Charles Hodge. But he's seated at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Fully God and fully man, our God and our Savior. And he has the right hand, of course, does not totally refer to I'm sure he sits on the throne at the right hand of God but doesn't totally refer to his position his physical position but to his place of authority and this term means for example my name Benjamin in Hebrew means son of my right hand um, it's the son of authority a son of power um, and so that would be the right hand was a position of authority or power. You had the king and then the next in command or the, the next highest ranking official, the one he gave his power to, the one he gave authority to, to rule on his behalf, was, would sit at his right hand, or was said to be seated at his right hand. Or as, Timoth, um, as uh, uh, the apostle Stephen said, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In heaven, um, so sitting or standing at the right hand, um, it is literal but also figurative, meaning the place of authority and the place of power. Um, in a similar way, Joseph ruled under Pharaoh, and he gave him all authority basically except over himself. And in a similar way, some of the kings, the pagan kings, were said to be seated at the right hand of their God. But, of course, 
there's no comparison to of pagan gods to Jesus seated at the right hand of the creator of all things and he himself God in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily he sits at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion so principality and power and might and dominion refers to angelic beings now this could refer to holy angels but also may refer to demons or to evil wicked angels Um, and actually we do see in Ephesians 6 12 where Paul uses the same terminology to refer to wicked angels and it's a good reminder for us this morning as we see darkness all around us in Ephesians 6 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And we are living in an evil day. So these are ranks, ranks in in the orders of the rulership of demons, some having dominion over perhaps other angels and demons and some having dominion over nations, perhaps, as we see in the book of Daniel. Principalities, powers, and mights, and dominions. But Christ is far above them all. Far above them all. And I think if you study Colossians, you see, it seems in Colossians, um, parallel letter that Paul wrote um, very similar to Ephesians in some ways we have the beginnings at this time when Paul wrote of Gnosticism and Gnosticism involved the worship of angelic beings as well Um, so Paul is saying Christ is above all them they're they're nothing to his power Um, God has placed him above them all he's triumphed over his enemies he's triumphed over Satan he's defeated him on the cross if we turn over to Hebrews 1 as well I'd like to look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse well let's start at the beginning God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through him also he made the worlds who being the brightness of of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, 
sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And from Philippians 2, we know that that name is Yahweh, uh, the name of God. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, and he's quoting from Psalms in the Old Testament here. Um, Psalm 110. Uh, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And down in verse 13, he says, But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So angels are created being, beings, but the Son of God is the creator. And as the God-man, he was made to sit at the right hand of God like none of the angels. And he's far above all the angels. And not just the angels, but every name that is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And this reminds me of Philippians 2, where it says, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every name that is named, he's above them. They're put under him. And that's what it says here in verse 22. He put all things under his feet. Um, I want to turn to Colossians 1, 16 through 18. He put all things under his feet. And so, first of all, what is the all things? In Colossians 1, 16, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. And here we have that language, too, used of the angels. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, so see, the angels were created by him. And now they're, he's been seated above them. Um, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, might ha- he may have the preeminence. So the all things is all of creation, right? Um, 
but it includes the angelic beings. And it also, of course, includes the church. Um, And he is the firstborn from the dead for the church. And the beginning, he is the beginning, and he is the creator. So he's been... All th- why, did, why did all things have to be put under his feet if he created them? Well, because he was made a little lower than the angels. Right? Psalm 8, 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the sea. And in Hebrews 2.8b, Paul, uh, I believe, says, For in that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not see all things put under him, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. So Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. That means he became, he put on flesh. He became man. And the son of man, he became one of us. So Um, that he might suffer death on our behalf. And now that he has suffered death for us and been resurrection, he's been crowned with glory and honor. Um, So, and all things have been again put under his feet and under his authority as they were at the beginning of creation. But, it says here, we do not now see all things put under him. All things are under his authority, but there's still sin. There's still rebellion. There's still evil. There's still darkness. So there's a sense in which all things have been put under him. And there's a sense in which he's going to continue to reign until all things are put under him. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says that all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So there's a sense in which Christ has already put all things under him, or or God has already put all things under Christ, 
and he has conquered, and he has defeated Satan, and he rules over all in his sovereignty. But there's also a sense in which this battle between light and darkness still has to play out. There's still a sense in which he's finishing his work through his body, through the church, of putting everything under his feet, through us, through his body. And there's a sense in which he hasn't ruled until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. Not yet. It is finished. The battle's over, as the song goes. Christ has procured our salvation. Everything's already been set in motion. What's going to happen is determined, but there's still a battle raging on. There's still battles to be fought. The war's been won, but there's still battles to be fought. And Christ is at the helm. Christ is fighting for us. He's leading us. He's the head of the body. Let's go back to Ephesians. And I do want to read quickly um, from Psalm 110.1 because... I think this is Ephesians is referring there to the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool the Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion rule in the midst of your enemies um, in Psalm 1 I mean Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 verse 21 Far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. So the power of God has raised Christ from the dead. The power of God has enthroned Christ and enthroned Christ and gave him dominion over all things, including his enemies. And the power of God united Christ to the church as her head. And much of Ephesians from here on out will be about Christ's work. Well, in Christ's work in us as believers, but also in his work in the church and what he's done in the church and how he's made us a part of the church a part of his body, and part of the household of faith. We who are Gentiles and strangers, he's made us part of his family. But the power of God united Christ to the church as her head. So he's the head of the church, and we are the body, and there's many members in one body, as we see in Corinthians. And... You know, the I can't say it to the hand, I don't need you, or I don't know if I got that right, but you know, we can't say to the 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 less honorable, so to speak, parts, say I don't need you. You know, we need the body we need all the parts of the body. And um, what 
what we might consider to be less honorable or necessary, and perhaps in some ways more honorable. So we are the body of Christ, we're the many members of his body, and Christ is working in the world through the church. We are the city on the hill, we are the light that must shine in the darkness that we're living in. And Christ has, we're in darkness, but Christ has a light here. And we're that light. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. There's an old song, I think it was Dallas Home, maybe, but you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. And you're the only word of life that some will ever meet. So let them see in you the one in who is all they'll ever need. You're the only Jesus that some will ever see. So he gave him to be head over the church with his, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now this is kind of a tricky part of the passage here to interpret. And basically there... The question is, what, what is the fullness? What is the fullness referring to here? Is the fullness referring to the fullness of Christ, being that the church is the fullness of Christ? And that would make sense in the sense that as the body of Christ, we complete Christ. And if that's so, it's a, it would be him who fills all in all or him who fills the church. So we complete Christ. He fulfills us. He's working through us. He's living through us. We're his body. And also Colossians 1.24 um, says, um, Paul said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So, Paul was filling up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. He was completing the work of Christ through his sufferings. And so perhaps it could be said that the church is completing Christ's work here on earth. And in that sense, we complete him or we are the fullness of him. Um, The other interpretation, which really puts the antecedent a little bit back in this verse you know the antecedent would be which pronoun is is fullness referring to or which person is fullness referring to is it referring to his body which is the church or is it referring back to him where it says and gave him to be head over all things to the church so that would be mean that the christ is the fullness of him and the second him that christ is the fullness of 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 him would be god that would be saying that Christ is in the fullness of God who fills all in all. And then I would take it that filling all in all would mean that God fills everything, the universe. And that is a little uh, difficult structurally to see. Um, If you just read it, it it seems to be more referring to the church um, with the antecedent antecedent being that far back in the sentence but i think there's some passages that kind of give weight to this interpretation as well 
If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28 again, um, it says uh, in verse, I'll just start in verse 27, for he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made to be to subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who puts all things under him, that God may be all in all. And so that passage says all things are under Christ, but still Christ is under God the Father. And it says God will be all in all, and that kind of makes sense with the God who fills all in all there. Um, and then if you look at... Uh, Colossians one nineteen. For it pleased the Father that in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So, here, similar related passage, it talks about all things um, being put under Christ or res- reconciled to him or um, made at peace with him. Um, it is said that it pleased the Father that in Christ all the fullness should dwell. What fullness is that talking about? All the fullness of what? Well, if you look at Colossians 2.9... For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So here it seems to say that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, is in him. That that means all the fullness of God um, is embodied in Jesus is enfleshed in Jesus. So, I think it could be said here that Jesus is the fullness of God who fills all in all. So, I don't think either of these interpretations are wrong theologically, um, but I, honestly, I'm not sure which way to go with this. Um, but we are the body of Christ, and we are here to complete his work when he is filling us and working through us. But also, the Godhead dwells completely in Christ bodily. And the Godhead fills everything, the universe, with his presence, his glory, and his power. So, the power of God has exalted Christ The power of God that gives us newness of life is the same power that exalted Christ. And he's done that through raising Christ from the dead. The power of God raised Christ from the dead. The power of God enthroned Christ and gave him dominion over all things, including his enemies. And the power of God united Christ to the church as her head. So we have Christ as our head. We have him with us, his presence with us to go before us, to guide us through the Holy Spirit. And we have that power that raised him from the dead. 
and enthroned him and united to us him to us as our head to walk in newness of life this new year and to glorify God and to be a light in the darkness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have done through Christ. I thank you for the good news that all things have been put under his feet. I thank you that he is going to reign until all things are put under his feet and until death is defeated. Lord, help us not to be discouraged. Help us to glorify you and praise you for what you've already done and accomplished. Give us hope. Help us to worship you and help us to be a light in the darkness. Lord, help us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, we need your word to be encouraged. We need the armor of God that we may stand in the evil day. Help us this year to put it on daily, to put Christ on, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In Jesus' name, amen.